Good morning. Hello. How is dog. Every time I do these things, my voice just comes out funny. I don't know what it is. But anyway, how are we doing? How is everybody? The sun is beaming through my window here. I hope it's nice where you are too. And I hope that you're enjoying the podcast so far. How did we like those Justin Pearson episodes, eh? Pretty cool guy. Anyway, what? Anyway, this week I spoke to my old, old, old wooden ship. (laughs) My old friend, Richie Beckett, who is an incredible artist. If you haven't seen his work, I'll link his profile on the Instagram page. If you want to go follow us on Instagram, it's party underscore mom underscore pod. Uh, I'll link everything on there so you can go check him out. Uh, yeah, we've known each other for a long time and it's amazing to see how his work has grown and his fan base and it's, yeah, everything really well deserved. So yeah, we had a really good chat. We spoke about dreams. We spoke about being self-sufficient, living in the country, uh, touring without GPS, (laughs) lots of stuff in here. So yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Hi. Hey, how's it going? I was just drinking my wine. (laughs) <laughs> there you are how are you i've not well i've not spoke to you properly for ages in forever um great yeah no really good when was the last time i saw you i can't Mastodon remember show in bristol probably oh yeah i forgot you were there yeah of course yeah yeah so you're in deepest darkest wales same place yeah yeah Whereabouts is it again? Remind me, or oh, for other people that well, you don't have to tell me where you live. <laughs> <laughs> tell you the exact location. Um, it's in, uh, so um, the place that is kind of funny because I've I live in a place called Payne's Castle. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no castle here. It used to be. It got destroyed centuries <laughs> ago. But because uh, uh, when I found this place and I saw that name Payne's Castle, I just thought it sounded so badass. Yeah, and it's a very metal name. And you, would, you know, there's some places you pass through and mm-hmm. you're like, it's a beautiful place, but the name is not going to look good on my address. <laughs> this place, or if people ask you where you're from. Um, yeah, Slough. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> there's one that, what's that? There's a place local to here, Libanus. Li- li- it's got anus in the title, in the name, you know? And I was just like, some beautiful houses here, but I couldn't have that on my address. I couldn't tell people. I you're, that, you're that particular. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's just some lot of vanity in that, isn't it? But yeah. if, either way, I didn't have to worry about it because when this place came up, Payne's Castle, and I was like, "Yeah, that's sorted." The name thing that's that the most about. Ever. Um, but, and it was there was a castle built here by a man whose first name was Payne. Oh, um, his first name was Payne. Payne, Payne Fitzjohn. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, he, he built this castle. It's been destroyed many times, and there's no castle here anymore. And it's a tiny place. It's a tiny village. Uh-huh. not really on the map but like people don't really know about it it doesn't have any great i guess that had the castle and it's had some battles here but yeah like, my point is it doesn't have any great significance but because i like the name and i like the identity of it i always sort of hashtag all of my stuff hashtag oh. castle, and i always use that name a lot okay so then i have people always hit me up saying what's pain castle well i'd love to come and visit pain you know it's, 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 i've created this kind of mystical place that doesn't right. doesn't exist 
I mean, it does, but if I'm anywhere in the surrounding area, I'll sort of still post videos on uh -huh. hashtag on Paints Castle. So to people who follow my shit, they've got this idea of what this place is, but it's actually just a tiny village. Uh -huh. It does. There's nothing there. There's literally a little Be village cheap. hall, one pub called the Rose Docks. Mm -hmm. um, it was a, a pub that used to be called the Ox and then it got burnt down and then they called it oh the Rose God. Docks and rebuilt it or something. But it's a proper old, it, it's yeah. like the, the location is, um, it's, it's where, I, I, this is something I love telling people, but it's where they filmed um, an American Wolf in London, the opening scenes on the mall. I was going to ask you, I seem so to remember. There's nothing there, you know? Yeah, uh, I had a vague recollection of you telling me that before, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy telling everyone. That's that cool. Information, but, but they, and then the, the, the Slaughtered Lamb pub is just down, or what was that is kind of, it's not actually even a pub, it's just another part of the little village. Right. But yeah, so where I live, there's not really anything here. There's... Um, the closest town would be Hayon White, which does have significance because that's the uh -huh. town of books, the literature festival and all of that yeah. stuff. But um, but I'm a bit further out in the sticks. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful though, from what I've seen. It's really lovely. And and I've been fortunate to, I, I feel like I was perfectly prepared for this bizarre COVID plague year yeah i was gonna say on. you're you're kind of perfectly set up for set it up ready to go like i'm i'm used to living a bit of a hermit lifestyle <laughs> yeah Li living like a hermit and being kind of semi-self-sufficient yeah and um only going shopping when i really need to and mm -hmm. only leaving the house when i really need to that's nice though and so, so a lot of the time with all of this going on and people check in and i i mean i'm not i realize a lot of uh, a lot of friends and who live in the cities have had a hell of a time with it but for me a lot of the time I kind of forget that it's going on and it's sort yeah because not that much has really changed for you not really no no, no. just even it... more encouragement to be to, to live the kind of lifestyle I was already yeah. living how long have you been there now um five years yeah gosh yeah crazy isn't it yeah but yeah five years I've been here and then as you know like so last year I was planning on leaving because we were going to you were going to drive around Europe, Europe, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was about, that was going to happen. And it, it's so crazy to me now because doing that sounds kind of terrifying. And yeah. I think I'd come up because I'd pushed myself into this idea that I could jump in a van and tour around doing art shows. And that actually was terrifying to me because I don't I have, don't really do many art Mm -hmm. especially under my own steam like I don't do my own art shows that's not really a thing I've ever done yeah I plan to do it in this capacity and been like yeah if I push myself into doing this thing but now because it because it didn't happen because of COVID mm -hmm. and I had to like literally came scurrying back to this place as best I could and was lucky enough to be able to hang on keep the house and yeah everything here and um yeah I don't know if I would yeah, the idea of doing it now seems really strange to it's me. Scarier. Would that? How would that work? Would you set up when you say show me like a little ex mini exhibition that would happen for a night or two? Yeah, yeah. So it was. So um, my partner Johanna was doing. Um, she was just about to release her new record at the time, which is, mm -hmm. was obviously about a year ago. Um, and she was just about to put put her new record out, and she was in LA at the time, and she was touring up the the West Coast, just starting to mm -hmm. do her first few shows um, before doing the big what would have been a, a year long touring cycle. Right. And sure. um, I already had a few things going on in Europe, things like 
Roadburn and a few other yeah, music festivals which were having art exhibitions and things like that and right so you could um, like use that as your skeleton and then just sort of yeah exactly and they really yeah. it, there was a few real really serendipitous things where that they had sort of naturally correlated together where she'd have yeah. a festival in France and then I'd have a festival in uh, Germany or whatever it was yeah and so we, we linked them together set out this whole plan and then we were going to tour th- throughout Europe around the UK um, eventually over to the States. We had things planned in New yeah. York and uh, Austin and across the States. And we were even then going to go out. We had things lined up in Australia. Wow. Um, we were going to maybe go to Japan. Like we had mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. So, th- yeah, the way I was going to do it was if she, if if uh, if I already had an art show booked or, or I was part of a convention, I'd, I'd find a, a way for her to play. Do the show, yeah. That. How nice that you can do that together as well. Yeah, I mean that that side of it for me is kind of extremes. It's either I, I'm either at home for long periods of time by myself working, mm-hmm. or I'll go and immerse myself in a really intense situation at, uh, at a festival. <laughs> there's no, like there's no medium. You just kind yeah. of all go. On and this would have been. This would have been. I mean, I don't know exactly what form it would have taken for me. It would have been something like, yeah, like like a, a little kind of DIY art yeah. show that I would set up pretty pretty DIY and basic yeah. really but but I like the idea of just being this kind of more like a traveling pop-up art show I suppose yeah that's be, that's fun know. I don't know if that sounds nice to me it's it kind does. of cozy and everything it does sound fun and and I bought I bought the van ready I bought we we got all of the uh equipment that Johanna needed over here that she couldn't bring from the oh, states yeah. so like uh, instruments and amps and things like that yeah, Had yeah. All that ready to go and um, a ton of stuff set up, but, and it was weird because I remember buying that van and sit, driving it home and thinking, you know, when you get in a new vehicle like that and you think this this place I'm sitting in now is going to become so familiar to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be I'm living gonna be in this. Here. Yeah, I'm going to be yeah. driving for hours sitting here and it's <laughs> going to become this really familiar place. And yeah. then obviously it never did. So you've, have you been working nonstop there? Well, not, I mean, you, you do anyway. You always seem to have a new project out, but have you found, like you said, life's not really changed that much for you? Have you had like yeah. a lot more work on? Have you been more productive or? I think, I, I think so. I think yeah. maybe I have. I, yeah, I was definitely in a position of, 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 I was about to take a big shift with the traveling and then mm-hmm. having that not happen and coming back here, was definitely I think as this has been for so many people a big stock taking moment yeah. where you, you you really reflect on where you are and think about what your next plan is going to be yeah especially what's important based on, as well yeah and, and especially based on not being able to travel and not being able to do those certain yeah. things and uh, I know for a lot of artists in my um, in my field and amongst my peers and friends and art buddies a lot of us work in gig posters event posters things like that and obviously that was a knock-on effect from uh, I mean uh, for, for for us friends that we have in the music industry have had mm-hmm. a nightmare fallow year of just no, zero yeah, literally nothing other than and then there's that merge. echoing effect of that so for, for the for the artists a lot of artists who would have been doing gig posters suddenly it's like well these gigs are not happening mm. so uh, mm-hmm. the gig poster office is not happening either so so there's yeah it's definitely been a lot of cancelled work but honestly for me I guess this is a blessing that the the nature of my work is ridiculously time consuming yes translate that as I work really really slowly and um right. and it's so <laughs> fine but it's all like super super fine yeah for anyone that doesn't know that's listening it's all like pen and ink lots of dot work 
fine mm. lines and it's all by hand right to start with yeah so it's all yeah. completely hand drawn so so it's meticulous and and which yeah whichever way you cut it is it's very time consuming uh-huh. and i'm a huge procrastinator and right. I, I, Are you? I, I fuss about every single thing, right. every stage of it. So t- I take forever work uh-huh. on anything. But what that means is it actually if it's not like I'm tearing through projects mm-hmm. and even, even within a year, I'm only going to do a handful of pieces really. So so it wasn't that difficult. And, and I always take on probably a bit, a little bit too much. And I just did a big overhaul of, uh, actually, it honestly was a big moment of, change and because i i'd been um shipping all of my print i've been running my own store and shipping all my print work from the studio here yeah. as well as doing project works and all of this stuff and i suddenly looked at it and realized i'm sitting here um responding to customer mm-hmm. emails and and shipping prints and printing all address day. labels and dealing with all of this stuff when i should be making artwork and it used yeah. to be an even balance but as as the print work is and all of that stuff is picked up um I'm I'm not I just realized I was not spending enough time making art so yeah kind of overnight I just changed all of that and I moved the whole print outsourced all of the shipping stuff right. and which I very stubbornly held on to out of yeah. wanting to just do it all myself well that's the part of the perfectionist thing as well I think exactly that's exactly it I, I struggle yes so much I struggle to delegate and yeah. tr- trust anyone to do me it. too I'm a complete control freak with everything hard yeah <laughs> Just people, people will often let you down. But it's yes, I was going to say the same thing, and I'm like, if I do it myself, but, yeah. no, I know it sounds horrible. And it's not like I don't think other people are capable, but I'm like, oh, but what if they don't get it? And I like, yeah, I, and I have strange sort of. It's not. It's not even a thing about. It sounds pretentious to say. Well, I have very specific standards that I like to <laughs> adhere to, but it's not really that. It's more just certain ways of doing things. And, yeah. And and I like to know. I like to sign off on things and know they're done a certain way. And of course, and, and like see it as cases, well in the flesh and make sure that that's what you want to put out there. Yeah. 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 So that whole moment is just a big shakeup of of reflecting on like, okay, how am I spending my time? Yeah. What do I really want to be spending my time doing? And and what do I want my life to be? Do I want it to be? emailing customers about <laughs> shipping and going to the post office and pack, pack like not yeah, really that's time consuming as well and also yeah. like life sucking <laughs> yeah yeah there was a time when it was cute when it's like oh this is nice i can put a personal touch and yeah know, they can draw a smiley face on note. <laughs> exactly yeah but then once when that grows you don't want to be doing it so were you up until recently then were you doing all the printing yourself everything i'd love to be able to claim that that would be great but no i've i've never but i'm kind of i'm not really good at that sort of thing i think you know it's because it's, it's very technical and it's very hands-on yeah. and my thinking on the printing especially with because it's screen printing mostly yeah yeah there are people who've dedicated their lives to, to being fucking excellent yeah so why not give it to the best profession. people so that's definitely one where i'll i definitely will uh leave that to the pros yeah because that's kind of like a a lifetime's work I think getting really yeah. good at screen and that's a real specialism too. in itself isn't it as well yeah. yeah yeah so I work with um burlesque of North America the guys I've worked with for the longest time okay and I, I connected with them originally because I'd known they did John Baisley's prints you see so yes. I'd seen his work and was like hey well if they if they do his they're good enough for him <laughs> yeah they gotta yeah. be the best you know so um and he I kind of he connected me with them or if I got I can't remember even how I first got in touch with them but um 
worked, I've worked with them for years, for many, many years now. And, yeah. and the, the cool thing with it was um, th- through that process, they've come to learn what to expect from me. They kind of know what everyone what works in like. different ways and, and they know what they know the things I'm looking out for. And mm-hmm. if I send them a, a print, I set up my own print files, which are kind of complex in their own way. And, and if you, and they sort of know how to translate them because I'm sure everyone does it differently. The thing with screen print is you mix your colors and and if you're not using Pantones, which I'm not, yeah, I I I experimented with that, which is cool because that's what, uh, uh, for anyone who doesn't know about, Pantone is basically like a a, a unified catalog of colors that's a universal catalog of colors where everyone has every color worldwide like standard of yeah but I found that to be a minefield in its own way for me and and because if you pick one and then it's not the right one and then they commit to that color and then it's wrong I what I found to be better is using your eye and using judgment to pick the colors that feel right on the other end too and always had better results so but I like that variety and I like the idea that when you make that screen print they're they're personal human touch of their interpretation of what they yes. think the colors I'm going for are based on what I've sent to them yeah and they they have the ability to tweak and change them if they feel it needs uh-huh. it and then at the end you're going to have this limited run of maybe a hundred prints and even if you wanted to recreate them you couldn't, you couldn't make that no color again if you try exactly match it yeah all these little just little variations in there yeah. and the fact that they brought in their um their their own touch to it and chosen and, yeah, and things and it, like like a gold I use a lot of gold yeah ink and mm-hmm. with something like gold it's like gold can be many different it's not yeah yeah a specific color there's so many different kinds of gold and for uh-huh. them to pick what gold they think is going to really work with the yeah. print rather than me really dictating it and it's really it's, it's kind of a one time well. exactly and it's yeah. got a very it's kind of a one time process and if you get into papers then as well you oh, it, yeah. it's another element that you're using so. Uh-huh. In a lot of my work, I'll have negative space, which is the paper. That paper will often have certain papers I like to use, like craft and speckle tone papers, where they've got little flecks and tones in them. Yeah, so really nice textures. Yeah, so even this, even a single print is mm-hmm. not going to be next to the. If you if you put it next to another print from the same run, there it's still going to be unique because each, each one's got yeah. a different set of flecks and yeah, yeah. impurities almost in the paper, which is and I like the idea of that hey only like 100 people are gonna yes ever and that's have, it well, and that's... you can sell it and trade it but like ultimately there's only 100 of them in the world yeah keeps it special yeah definitely because we live nice. it's mainly because we live in this time of of um everyone has this um you you can kind of get everything you want so Instantly. quickly and and yeah. sort of entitlement culture of yeah it's like i want it now hey, oh I why do i have to wait four days for it i want yeah. it tomorrow yeah if it doesn't yeah. arrive amazon prime tomorrow morning on my doorstep <laughs> i'm gonna be mad you know and it, <laughs> but you, i feel myself doing that like i try i'm trying less and less to yeah me too to use amazon and i have i've been super guilty of it especially living out here mm-hmm. and not having places to shop because i don't yeah. there's no city or anything so ordering stuff from amazon now i've got it down to an absolute minimum <laughs> talking deftos i saw the new artwork which is beautiful yeah i was that was Horse. a really cool project um and a really unique one because it was uh f- from through revolver who i've done a uh, jimmy um do you know jimmy jimmy hubbard the amazing photographer and filmmaker who, but he's since become uh one of the main guys who do, who uh does, still does photography and film and 
um, all sorts for Revolver since that right. was okay. reborn. Um, you, but you you definitely would know his work because he did. Yes. Do you remember that old Mastodon documentary, the Workhorse Chronicles? One? Yes. If he's one it's of likely you, you definitely would have crossed paths at some point. His uh, legacy of work is is amazing. He's, mm-hmm. he's photographed all the so many great bands, made yeah. amazing videos, documentaries. Amazing photographer, mainly is his thing. So anyway, he, it was it was uh, Jimmy who came over with John Baisley when they came to and film. They filmed a little documentary about me here, yes, in, in Paints Castle, and did the the little masses on documentary and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, he hit me up about uh, Revolver. Each each issue, they find an artist that they're affiliated with in some way and, mm-hmm. and invite them to create. It's kind of the final page of the magazine is always yes. an art piece and it's inspired by whoever, whoever the cover star is. And mm-hmm. th- So they've had some amazing ones. I think uh, uh, John Dix did a tool piece and then um, Thomas Hooper did... Do the Mind Nails Diamond Spiral one maybe? can't remember I might be wrong and then when he did hit me up he said how would you feel about doing a white pony piece you were like yeah I was like yeah I love that that's great because I (laughs) that is a record which I grew up really you know very much the right time and place yeah I was gonna speak people our age who were moshers when they were like (laughs) I mean I came from each thing I came from a place of being in art school and I remember I was a massive indie kid for a, a lot. Of, I mean, I still am a massive indie kid, but I'm right. also, I like everything, but I, yeah, but right. I was a massive indie kid, I think. And then friends of mine in school were just in, in art school rather were like super into Deftones and stuff and uh-huh. trying to get me to go to these shows. And I was like, I don't know, it's a bit we're interested. heavy for me, you know, it's a bit intense. <laughs> it's a flower. But um, it was a bit, yeah, it was a, it, some of that was a bit just abrasive for me at the time, I think. Uh-huh. Um, but then by the time I don't know it, I kind of caught up with it all and then massively fell in love with that band and it was in a period where I was just getting super into the or I, I had got it super into the the first two records and then when that came out I was like okay yeah this is kind of caught up with me at just the right time mm. and I love that right we we had Jimmy and I had some really long zoom calls about it and was just really nerding out about it all and yeah. talking about the whole atmosphere and narrative of the record it kind of doesn't have a cover you know like if you think the cover of that record is because it's just gray with a little pony yeah it's either the 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 special edition versions with the there was like a red one and a black one and just the little white pony in the corner yeah it almost would be blank very much like kind of their white album you know it's like they're all their black album it's like just their just this Uh plain plain document really with the record itself then Gives kind of you a, a visual atmospheric story yeah. about what you Am- atmospheric about, is yeah. the right word. That's like the perfect word to describe Deftones. I feel mm-hmm. like that's like the essence of Deftones is the atmosphere that it like creates. Yeah, because like mm-hmm. I feel like Deftones get thrown in with a lot of other like lesser bands in my mind, like new metal type stuff. Absolutely, I don't Absol- care about. Yeah. But yeah. Deftones always stood out to me. It's way more a much complex. more classy proposition. Because yeah. you know the, the shit that they the, the shit that they were talking about at the time even was always like Depeche Mode and just like yeah weird shoegaze bands I think you could definitely hear that 80s-esque yeah um influence on Deftones the older stuff and then with the newer stuff it was still very much Deftones but like an even more grown-up like more even more realized more sophisticated version of we still had that like un you know unmistakable like Deftones like atmosphere that's absolutely they word. definitely trod on their own path and yeah and it was interesting yeah talking about that record specifically how 
and, and it wasn't until we got to talk about it and I had this realization of like, yeah, when I listened to that record, I, I got this strange visual thing in mind of it feels like you're being invited into this really scary kind of house, you know, like this weird place that you're taken, almost like a dream though. It's all, yes, it's, yeah. But more like a weird nightmarish Lynchian kind of dream. And <laughs> I don't know, but it's kind of beautiful at times, but also really kind of scary. And so in the end, I, yeah, I ended up doing this illustration of this, kind of floating horse which was also a homage to uh <clears throat> that the jesus lizard uh down cover with the dog floating over the water yeah, kind of yeah. like i wanted to sort of rip on that a little bit uh -huh. and, um, <laughs> i like the fact it's this strange snapshot of a moment which doesn't yes. really make sense you're like why is this dog floating what has it got to do with anything as if yeah. he's just somehow transported through time or out of john right. malkovich's mind or something it's appeared <laughs> floating over the ocean yeah. for no reason because i thought that's kind of how that record makes me feel yeah also is this strange dream like like the 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 chair's been swiped from under you or something like right. that right you know? so that was the kind of vibe I was trying to generate with it so it's just this horse kind of floating in a void and yeah. you don't know why why he's there it doesn't quite make sense there's no uh -huh. scale to it or or context to it yeah uh, because you've not got any other elements in there it's kind of just this yeah. thing kind of hit the nail on the head of the dream thing there because you know if you watch like dream sequences in films or even the way they're described in books or whatever. Sometimes yeah. they just don't work because it's just like, oh, we put a filter on it. It's meant to be a dream. Yeah, yeah. It's like if just things like a start and an ending are missing and like there's no floor and there's no other elements, there's no scale or anything, mm. could literally be anything. When, has anyone ever really accurately portrayed a dream in, in a movie? I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure that, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but... All I'm thinking the of is like dreams... Inception when they're like walking yeah. through things are falling away, but that was still very formulaic to me and a bit video yeah. game-ish. Yeah, because everything is still, that. there's some sense to it. There's some... There's of normality. Some sort of... It still looks like a regular street. It's just that yeah, it's still, the, the, the certain laws of physics seem to... I know they. it's like, yeah, I can turn a building upside down or twist something or change something, but compared with an actual dream, things shift and change and blur so rapidly. You know, like one minute... So much faster than that, yeah. Like your mate and then next minute it'll transform into just like some uh, like Liam Neeson or someone it's more I'm like this person was that I think it was you but hold on but it didn't look like you but it was yeah you. that's and it's so more weird. this it's more of not the exact thing that happened but more of like how it made you feel mm. or the, the yeah. part that someone played in it kind of thing exactly and you wonder if you did ever really see it in the dream you yeah know? Or did, did you yeah was yes. there actually a, a visual component <laughs> Because do you actually see, like, obviously in movies, it's shown kind of mm. like real life, but like you say, so it's some weird kind of filter. Yeah, it's much it more literal. Dreamy. Yeah. But, but actually, I don't know if you do really genuinely see them or if you're, or, or you just wake up thinking. Yeah, thinking of someone or a suggestion of someone. Yeah. Or a place. I always dream about, like, the, the house that I grew up in when I was a kid, but mm. it doesn't look like the house. But I've had repetitive right. dreams. I'm in this house. <clears throat> yeah. And it's my childhood home, but it doesn't look like the I house totally, I, I, have, I totally know what you mean. I have, there, there are certain locations that I revisit in dreams yes, time and time again. And some of them, I don't know where they are. I, yeah. I don't know what they are. But then but you've been there some, before. There's, there's one which is this house, but it's not this house. It's yeah. a weird exaggerated slice on a massive hill and it's all the, the walls are kind of wooden. And it looks right. like some old worldy Russian house or something. But okay, in, yeah. my, in my dream, I think I, I'm like, oh no, it's, it is this, it's supposed to be a version of this house. Yeah. And then there's always, I'm sure everyone has this one, but there's like 
a version of my school but it's not really my school yeah. it's a weird twisted strange version but it, but that to me is what it is yeah and then, yeah that's they're really strange but those those um the kind of weird architecture and dreams is mm -hmm. really amazing like when i there are certain locations which i visited time and time again and I know exactly what they look like, but then it's not a real place. It's just something yes. that's in my dream. But it's yeah, so isn't that crazy? Well thought out. That, and I'm like, I yeah. don't think I came up with this. No, isn't does it amazing it, that your brain yeah. does that? Like you revisit somewhere over and over, in but only ever in a dream. Because mm. sometimes I think, gosh, it was so um, vivid that I could probably like get a bit of paper and like draw down like a yeah a floor yeah. plan if I really wanted to yeah and then months later I'll go to the exact same place and it'll be a different scenario but in the same place again mm. it's crazy do you um do you ever record or write down your dreams no sometimes and if I, if I wake up and I've had one particularly weird one I'll like note them mm. I get um sleep paralysis as well oh wow which is a whole Heavy. other level of thing well it's and now it's like somewhere between sleep paralysis and like lucid dreaming because mm. now i realize when it's happening and i have to kind of like train myself to wake myself up mm. so i started doing this thing where i have to like wiggle my toes or like unlock my ankle so if something terrible is happening in this dream it's usually someone coming into my room or someone's like yeah. like a venom type thing is on the ceiling Wow, like, yeah, that sounds like classic. That seems quite common, doesn't it? People, yeah, see and I hear like static figures. in my ears. Um, but I'm, I, I, but I have to remind myself. I'm like, oh, this isn't real. This isn't real. Yeah, unlock you, right. Unlock your toes. Unlock your toes. Or wiggle your toes. Unlock your feet. But you, sometimes yeah. you can't, and you're just like frozen, and it's, it's terrifying. I think I've got out of bed and gone into the next room to tell somebody that I had this horrible dream until they like comfort me. Yeah, and I haven't like the walls will just melt away. Ah, oh, that's like oh, the classic old movie switcheroo, isn't it? Rewind and like the same thing happens again, yeah. but I know that it's not real, and it just takes me so many uh, attempts before I can like wake myself up. The fact that you've started to use that is almost like the um, it's like the Inception totem thing, isn't it? The fact that you've you've started to figure out a way to. Yeah have some identifiable thing in the dream which you can say okay because yeah, people do that. there's like it's whole really cool. books and stuff written about like lucid dreaming and how you can yeah. control where your mind goes and stuff it's i don't know how much of that i believe in to you know some of it i think it gets so far and then it goes into the realm of like astral projection and all that i was just gonna yeah I, yeah I looked into that for, i bought a book about it and read a bunch of astral projection stuff and sort of experimented with trying to do it if I'm honest, I wasn't that committed to it. Like I yeah. it was because it listed all of these things that you had to do, kind of lifestyle things almost, and, and your bedroom's like, got to oh, be too much. set up. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> the the bedroom's got to be set up in a certain way. So, um, but I used to be all over the place. So when I read this astral projection book and it said, first off, before you do anything, you need to go to bed at exactly the same time every night. You need to have a good night, solid, you know, uh -huh. eight or nine hours sleep or whatever. And I was like, well, that counts me out immediately. Doesn't happen. Yeah. I've... I found recently when I asked you about if, if you've recorded them, I, that's something yeah. I've started doing, doing recently is waking up and um, it's something that jo, uh, my partner Johanna does and, and she's sort of encouraged me to do because she, she said she, she's kept journals for years of all of her dreams and, and right. she'll say, and she said, oh, well, do you ever write them down? I'm like, yeah, well, no, because I don't really remember them that well. And she yeah. said, well, here's the thing you need to, if you, the moment you wake up, 
while the dream yeah, is still fresh still there, yeah write it down immediately and as you start doing that you'll remember more than you you'll surprise yourself with how much yeah you it'll come to you yeah because as you remember one thing it will suggest and inform you of another thing that yeah. you might have forgotten and that keeps going and then you actually same as anything any, training any part of your body you can you train your mind to then start thinking oh hey this is important to you okay i'm going to start remembering this i remember this and and then the next day you have a dream and you remember way more than you might have and and you're basically training your brain to start retaining that information it it really works and so now i've gone from nothing to now having a ever filling journal next to my bed and every morning i'll wake up and and very often we'll wake up and we'll be like don't say anything a minute to me because because once (laughs) it's i always think it's like bubbles based thing isn't it it's like yeah just be, once you get distracted as away so yeah um so there's a moment of just no conversation and just yeah. like hurriedly writing down as much as you can remember well i know that i like talk in my sleep sometimes sometimes i wake up like screaming it's only ever happened mm. twice with my partner now and it like scared the shit out of him yeah. like when i've had crazy dreams and i've like woke up screaming my mom told me one time on holiday we were sharing a, a hotel room that I was screaming, going, there's a man, there's a man, there's a man, there's a man. And she was like, Jesus Christ, like, scared. Thought someone yeah. was in the room. And I was in bed, and one of my legs would just bolt upright in the air. Wow, that's some proper exorcist shit. Yeah, it's not horrible. Like, I don't think I could even <laughs> very long anyway, because I'm not like that flexible. <laughs> and I was just lying in bed going, there's a man, there's a man, there's a man. Wow. In the air. And so she had to, she had to like, wake me up yikes weird yeah so i i listened to an interview with uh stuart braithwaite from Margot the other day and yeah th- there's a there's a quote at the start i was called to to the bin my friend tonight we vacate earth and the opening of the record is a guy quote quote saying that phrase yeah but apparently it's a friend of theirs who talks in his sleep regularly oh. and his partner just recorded I him recorded. and he just said this um to the bin my friends tonight we vacate earth <laughs> In the, but he speaks in this really profound way, and right um, as if he's the and, and, and he said it's not his, it's not that guy's voice. voice even. It's not oh, like the way wow. he speaks. That's but he just said this crazy thing in his sleep. But that's natural recording of him saying it. So it's, yeah. Oh my god, cool. that's a whole yeah. other thing again. Doing a different voice. Yeah, that's some proper creepy. So, <laughs> yeah. So the dreamy falling horse thing. Oh yeah. You had this um, lovely long conversation chatting about the death. Yeah, so so I guess to be this beautiful horse. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> yeah. I, for, from an from an artist point of view, I think I felt I'm pretty happy with how that piece turned out. Yeah, it's beautiful. As in, it turned it. out. It's it's a it, once in a while. Sometimes you make a piece and it turns out nothing like what you had in mind, or it, or it doesn't. Right or you have a really ambitious idea and you just don't pull it off. And, and other, even if other people think it's cool, you deep down know it's it wasn't you, quite you what like I wanted. Are you like a bit disheartened from time yeah, to time? Yeah, and, and, and that's just the way it is. Um, but with but this was one of the rare ones, I guess, where I'd kind of set out with a vision in mind of what, what it was and pretty much came out like that. Like I was, I was pretty happy with the outcome of it. Just, just this one really just plain uh, character in there does not any of my usual little uh-huh. um, things I think, that I do lean on a little heavily with, yeah. the, you know, having having little floaty things in there. It could be falling away from you, you know, like you don't have yeah. no orientation to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's nothing to give it context or scale. It could be, he could be any size, you know, it could be anywhere. Uh-huh. So just in that void. So, so actually the discipline of saying, I'm just going to f- fill the whole 
yeah. uh, the, the, everything around him is just going to be fundamentally was that black. a bit scary were you like oh, yeah and it feels like there. it feels like it should be yeah it like feels like finished. it should be easier but it's not it's funny how those things sometimes sometimes the challenge isn't about make something bigger and better and more grand and uh-huh. more detailed and more insane it's very often the opposite of like Take things hey, away, the challenges yeah. and like and knowing to edit and when to edit down as well yeah and like how much is enough it's a nice feeling when you recognize yourself exercising that yeah that like really holding like, your skills this is done i finished yeah. this now i'm gonna leave it something i'm trying to lean into i've, I've been talking about this more over the last few days especially of just leaning more into working in more physical tactile ways like I always have and I've always pushed that I've always been about pen and ink and and Mm -hmm. pen and paper and and physical things you know in a world that's especially with art being more and more dominated by digitally digital stuff yeah digital stuff and 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 obviously there is a digital component component to my work because that's how I share it and how I will construct a, a print and I'll still hand draw it but there's everything around it is becoming more digital and I, so you'll I, like draw the different elements and then like push them together digitally yeah kind of and, 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 there's, and there's less there's just it's all about there's just less time spent at the drawing board and more time in right. front of the computer and that that balance feels like it shifted a, slowly over the uh-huh. years you know and I guess because of the the, the generation that we've been part of we've yeah. been fortunate to grow up in a time when we didn't really have computers around or that yeah. we didn't have the internet and then had um and then you kind of grew up come with the internet a bit yeah it kind of yeah saw, saw that lived on both sides of it sort yeah of yeah and, and and digital artwork and things like that and it's funny to me now that sometimes i will post smart work online of of a even if it's it could even be a a, a photograph of a piece of paper with pen and illustration on it yeah but there might be some young kid who will kind of say Oh, what program did you draw this in? Or what like they, they'll just assume that it's drawn. Right. Really okay. got to push it to to explain. Oh no, this is drawn with a pen and paper. You know, there must be kids who don't don't just don't have art materials lying around. They've just got yeah. uh, an iPad in front of them and some drawing. Yeah, because I don't even know what program. like a GCSE art class would be like now. Oh my god! Yeah, I'd not even thought of that. Actually, that's <laughs> I've never thought about that. But yeah, our art class we we did some Photoshop in when I was in. Arts, art college yeah college in school, school in school no like no digital no, no computers were not part of art in any way at all it was no. all just like yeah it was all like just hand stuff pastels like yeah. marking yeah like, we did jewelry making out of silver that was pretty cool oh right yeah it was really a weird cool. thing that only our school seemed to do i remember they made they uh they taught us to screen print actually in school oh wow that's and cool. um Your school the school. idea the idea was <laughs> the idea was that we would we would screen print a t-shirt right to prove the method that we could do it mm-hmm. and I had some uh, shitty band I was in at the time I was gonna say what that. did you put on it so so I just um it was a puffer fish actually it's, I have a puffer oh, fish okay. hanging behind me up here actually but yeah, I can it was see one, it. yeah it was a picture of a puffer fish that I'd drawn and um I basically I kind of went into school and then just started just rinsing the screen printing stuff to just make a ton of t-shirts right. and then the teacher kind of caught me with all these t- she's like this is not what you're supposed to be doing. I knew you through bands you were in. Mm. I never knew you like as an illustrator, as an artist, like back then. Yeah, yeah. How it's, long it's, have you considered yourself like a professional? How long has art been like your profession? I 
honestly, I kind that all the band that the band years feel like <laughs> really a different lifetime in a way, yeah. or, or like a little detour yeah. in a good way though. But def- definitely a detour, as in uh, as I grew up always as a child. My my identity very much as a child, even even uh-huh. in as, as as young as I can remember, even before school probably, but throughout all of my school years, my identity was very much uh, as an artist. You like, were you always picking up pens and pencils? And Absolutely, stuff? yeah. And I, that really, that was very, came much natural my, to you. very much my identity. And and, yeah. and, and as a, a child who was really very quiet, mm-hmm. really, really quiet actually. As, and, and that was very much my way of communicating, you know? Right. Um, you know, it's like you have, you'll have um, comedians very often. I'll be, yeah. you hear comedians talk about oh hey I was bullied in school or I was really quiet in school but I found I could make people laugh yeah so I relied on that weapon. Yeah. that was my magic trick you know right. so for me my thing was my, my identity evolved in terms of like hey you're the kid who can draw stuff yeah you know? <laughs> so um yeah I'd always do it and I'd draw things for everyone I was like whatever people in my friendship groups were into different things was like one kid who was super into Street Fighter 2 and I'd draw him like Street Fighter 2 characters and uh-huh. the kid was into motorbikes, I'd draw him motorbikes and whatever. The, a kid like people in my family, my cousin was obsessed with Michael Jackson, I just draw pictures <laughs> of Michael Jackson all the time. And, or, but I always trade them though, I was, I was always quite entrepreneurial so I'd always trade stuff so I'd be like right okay, what, what can you what can I try whatever it's gonna it, cost it, you three miles bars it, at least. it was probably like cheats <laughs> for a computer game or something <laughs> like, oh, I'll draw okay. you a picture of uh, Mickey Mouse shooting someone in the head with a gun if you give me all these cheats for this computer game or something. the shit, doom or something yeah yeah something really stupid <laughs> but I definitely under undersold a lot of my work for real shitty things <laughs> but uh, and and I used to do like I used to draw tattoos on my friends and school right. so but I charge them for it like 20p so it'd be like a, a list of people like go go to like go to break time and they'd be like right same tattoo every time yeah in the playground like, with like a marker pen yeah and I didn't really know what tattoos looked like I, it was just my idea of what I thought a tattoo was which is right yeah like a, a, a sword with this I could draw it probably now and it would be the same exact same thing as like a sword with a snake wrapped around it every yeah, time yeah, yeah. you get the same thing you know uh-huh. and I, I think I kind of ingratiated myself with the all the kids in school who were kind of the bullies and the sort of bad kids yeah I was I was definitely hanging out with the nerds and the mm-hmm. kids who were into like weird music and basically yeah kids who were obsessed with music and trading mixtapes and all that good stuff yeah, yeah. And, and kind of smoking down the path outside <laughs> school and all that shit obviously that was my crowd but then there's there's the, the the kids who were kind of the, the tough guys and the bullies and stuff but right. I kind of got on with those guys but once again I, my my currency was drawing so I draw them pictures not necessarily not for them not a, like a romantic gesture but I, <laughs> I draw them I draw them pictures to to entertain them I guess which would right, maybe like, be like really people. violent stuff like some sort right. of Rambo type guy covered in weapons and guns maybe like whoa that's cool you know that's giving more guns you know like, but the cool thing is looking back on it it meant I was just drawing all the time you yeah. know so it, in terms of if when people say that thing of you always get people say like they, they think you're like born with a, a talent or something but yeah it, it, very often you you've actually put the time in to learn how to do without even like, realizing it yeah just exactly always, you always I liked do. it and took to it and but but I would just be drawing all the time do you always know you were good as well then um you knew that you were like I always, well, want, you're yeah, not always I wanted good. <laughs> 
I always wanted to be recognized for right like, I wanted to be good yeah uh -huh. I wanted people I liked I guess I liked that well I guess what it comes down to when you're a kid you're looking for validation aren't you? yeah I, like, yeah so that's definitely it it was like looking yeah. for that validation by being like holy shit you drew this thing so but it but in response to your question of um 15 minutes ago whenever I started this rant it was um <laughs> I, that was absolutely my identity throughout all of my yeah. years, was kind of the same as it is now. Just like, oh, you're the guy who draws stuff. So I did done Ava Levels, then I did foundation art for you, then I did three years graphic design. Right. So after all of that, I kind of came out the other end of it and was really um, kind of disillusioned with art a little bit. Yes. I didn't really know what I wanted to do it by that point. And because I'd done graphic design, which I was encouraged to do because um, they'd say, apply hey, to a job. Everything, yeah, everything yeah. needs to be, you know, this can needs to be graphic everything designed. Needs to be designed and all this yeah. I don't design crisp packets. Yeah. <laughs> and what was way more exciting to me at the time was the opportunity to write music and show yes. up playing yeah. guitar on stage and, and go on tour with my band. So, uh -huh. I, so after art school, that was exactly what I did uh -huh. and, and pretty much abandoned illustration and art completely for many years yeah so it, it does feel like a different lifetime pre, no. you know facebook and you know the friendster sort of myspace early myspace sort of stuff and yeah. <laughs> that whole thing but you know book, booking tours <laughs> in much more primitive ways and, and yeah on myspace you have that. to find I, I, promoters on my because i used yeah. to promote well i wouldn't call myself a promoter i did like a handful of gigs and it was all like other than literally firing your ass off it was like on MySpace. That <laughs> was yeah, the only other place. There was no Instagram with like millions of people on it. No, no sat nav on your. <laughs> no, that's the best. No sat nav. Oh, having to use actual but, maps. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> and I really enjoyed. Yeah, enjoyed playing music in that time. It was great. But I, I, I did that. Yes, pretty much solid ten years just playing music and touring. Yeah. And then eventually it, it was that uh, there was a point where. Um, I'd started making artwork for not so not so much for my band, but for other bands. Or I, right. I, I did some I did some artwork for, for for my band, which was just out of necessity because it was yeah. like, hey, you're going on tour, you need we need some shirts, we need something, we need a flyer. I was like, Richie, can you draw? I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll draw something up. I kind uh -huh. of sketched up something and and then went out on tour, and then we ended up weirdly one of the first pieces I did was for Sick of It All. Oh, really? Which is a really fucking cool first commission. Yeah. But, um, I did a few. Well, I did a few. I did, um, do you remember The Freezing Fog? Yes. Um, no, Godby's. no, Manchester Freezing yeah. Fog. Yeah, it was uh, Ed Godby from Beecher. That's right. After Beecher, yeah. Yes. Uh, they were one of the first bands who commissioned me to do a shirt. So, like, we played with them, played with uh, Devil Soul, the Soul was another. Um, yeah. All bands who we were buddies with, but we'd play, we'd play a show and then... What was what started to happen was they'd see they'd see our merch and say, "Oh, hey, who drew your who drew your shirts?" And they'd be like, "Oh, I did." Yeah. And then they'd, but actually, that I was I was not at that point. I, I I think I'd started to tap back into that excitement of like, "Oh shit, yeah, I used to really love doing this." Yeah, you know? and people but enjoy I was it them and I enjoyed doing it. But the real the key thing also was that um, Luke, who is. Uh, the, obviously you know Luke but the, the other guitarist in that band uh -huh. he um he became a bit of a salesman for my work because he <laughs> without me even asking he'd come at, at the end of a show he'd come up to me and say oh, I've got you two more commissions you know because right, okay. people are come to the merch stand and, and ask about the shirts and yeah. other bands we played with and ask if 
whoever was doing our shits could do shits for them. And right, it just kept okay. happening. So um, I'd come home from tour and then have this stack of commissions to do. Or, or just sit backstage at a show drawing and they'd be like, yeah. oh, we're on, you know, <laughs> drop my drop my tools and sort of get up and pick my guitar up and play and then come right. back. Right, so you're completely and... immersed in it again then. Yeah, that so point. that just kept accelerating. And eventually over time, the, the balance tipped where I realized, I was like, holy shit, I've actually got a real shot here of doing, I've got more, more design work than I could physically do I got to a point where I was I realized I was like holy shit I actually have a shot of doing this thing which I didn't know I always carried a guilt with me when I because I knew that I'd had this whole prior prior to the band I'd had this time of always knowing like oh yeah you could be an illustrator for you know I was planned to I was just like right what are you going to do when you grow up well I'm going to be I'm going to be an artist I'm going to be an illustrator was what I always wanted to do uh-huh. but then when I got kind of seduced by the band I and had those sort of 10 years in the wilderness doing that I right. um and that's what you felt guilty about because you hadn't yeah I felt guilty like I'd kind of um fitted fr- what's the word kind of uh, yeah I can't even say it fritted it away yeah that exactly that <laughs> um yeah kind of kind of wasted the talent or whatever it was or, but or did, where, did, where did that come from did other people tell you that like oh you should you could have been no, not really I think it's just so. me it's just I just thought that I think I just carried it with me just this, yeah this idea that that I'd kind of wasted a, a, some sort of talent I had or right so then when I was given that second chance to be like, like hey, right, I'm gonna do it now I yeah. can see that I could do this if I if maybe not too late you know like almost yeah. like a uh, Scrooge moment of just like holy shit I do have time to achieve this thing you know uh-huh. and, um so yeah I ultimately quit the band put that to bed and then jumped straight on to doing just like um full-time mm-hmm. illustration really. <laughs> Do you grow your own stuff there? Or is so, there places you can go? I know you go foraging started, for mushrooms and stuff. Yeah, foraging as much as we can um, for, yeah, like mushrooms. And um, I mean, there's a lot of the usual stuff, like your sort of wild garlic and things like that. You can yeah. get just start to come out now. But but then, uh, yeah, other like salad greens are really easy to forage. There's so many, right. so much out there that you can get. And um, all sorts of stuff for salad. I, I'm saying this, Johanna's really good at this shit. Like she really knows her shit with that, but yeah. kind of herbalism, but um yeah mushrooms a lot of greens you can forage um but then also things like making our own i started brewing beers and things you right. know, like weird, super weirdo fermentations <laughs> and uh beers and wines things like that what wine have you been making um mainly i've been mainly doing beers which were made from we we made a beer from like um turkey tail mushroom beer which is like some proper hobbity kind of shit I was going to say, it sounds like a Tolkien-esque. Yeah, it's just great. It tastes, it just, it just tastes like beer and soil in a really good way. Right. You know, okay. Like a nice stout or something, but okay, uh, that's really good. Um, and then I've made ones with kind of lots of um, spices, almost like a sort of festive um, with, with right, things okay, like yeah. um, cloves and star anise. And those yeah, sort of like you would ginger. in like a mulled cider um, or a mulled wine. Or yeah, like a I did, I did one with that. Exactly. Yeah, I did one with that, but it's also got based on uh, it's got grapefruit in it as well and right. things like that but it, I mean it's easy the thing with that stuff we're taught with um like we make our make our own bread make our own flour to make the bread make yeah. our own milk out of various different things and like we're mostly dairy free but um so yeah those sort of things make yeah make our own flour make our own milk make our own bread cook everything from scratch forage as yeah. much as we can grow as much as we can wow. um, and we're just just building on that and now we've just built a, bun- uh, a big 
uh, sort of veg garden now up at the back, which oh, we're nice. just starting to, that was to, today we're building a sort of frame for the beans to yeah. climb and oh, cool. uh, laying out these these beds. And it, but it's easier out here in that obviously there's the space, but also it's yeah. like our next door neighbor's got a horse. So she's like, oh, if you need manure to fertilize it, right. just come and grab some. All these the things are sort of at hand to help with those things. And then yeah. I know there's, with with um with brewing beers and making wines there's there is a sort of science to it but i think we're led to believe that it's this mystical alchemy kind of yeah scientific thing which we can't well you need all this insane it's such equipment. big business yeah it's such yeah. big business you know like if you go to the supermarket the supermarket aisle for booze is the biggest one it's huge yeah and it's beer like, is insane yeah the bottom line is fruits and things they want to ferment you know nature wants it to yeah that's kind of a it. natural yeast uh, is a naturally occurring, occurring thing. thing yeah yeah like we don't need to buy yeast like anything you get like slow berries that white kind of musty thing on the outside that yeah. is yeast you know and if you right. you can just pick it naturally with making something like the grapefruit beer you basically just make a tea so you use like yarrow or something uh-huh. make it boil up a tea in a big vat yeah and then you just add your yeast and your sugar and then put it in some jars and just I just let it do its work yeah just let it yeah. ferment add, add sugar if you need to and then oh, you start lovely. to sense it gets like you can kind of sense the alcohol it. into it and <laughs> you've got to kind of burp it every day burp yeah sometimes it starts to make it, it we'll be sitting eating dinner and it's only here it's little like <laughs> like it'll just make its own noise so it's just trying to yeah trying to escape I think so many of these things we've fallen out of the um like growing your own vegetables yeah like the fact that if you if you take you could go to a a gardening um you know garden center elaborate gardening shop and yeah. buy some really expensive tomato seeds yeah whereas you could actually and that's how, and then they tell you all these rules of how to grow them and it becomes this whole ordeal but you can if you go to the supermarket or if, if you just have any tomato, a tomato and you slice yeah. it up and you just bury it in soil it'll just it's gonna grow out into it. tons yeah, of no. little mini tomato plants we've got a nice little patch of land out the back yeah. and i say patch of land it is just it's a garden a garden size space but but the, uh, we plant some beds up there and there's this thing um <clears throat> the, the, do, do you know about uh, companion planting is this yeah. really cool thing so we've been looking into that and it's like it means for example you might have two plants which one of them deters by yeah. its scent or whatever it'll deter a certain pest and right. then another plant deters a different pest but they deter the pests that the opposite ones oh. have problems with so they kind of you protect them... each other right. so if you if you plant them side by side it might be that like a zucchini plant protects a tomato plant or something and vice right. versa or, or, so or it could be the one plant kind of feeds the other one or it could be that the one plant shelters the other one and keeps the sun off it yeah so there's all these little Ah, synchronicities that's interesting plants that are good companion plants to grow together and the worst thing to do is if you put similar plants together it's it can be problematic because they're competing for the same things and they both want the same nutrients they're both if if a certain bug gets into the area it'll kill all of those everything yeah so yeah whereas if you find ones that have very different traits they're actually complementary to one another so they'll kind of protect each other and feed each other relation that relationship with food like is obviously much more different if you're growing your own stuff absolutely yeah that really valuing it making the most of everything not really not chucking anything away you know, yeah, making all your even, pickles even and sauces yeah. and stuff. Even the, any, any food scraps we save to make broth out of. You know, right. we don't check mm. even the veg waste, we don't check away, we'll keep it. Wow. Cook a broth out of it, use the broth then to make soups and um, ramen. and Yeah. 
you know, stews and casseroles in the future, it like frees right. it all. Um, but a, yeah, a big part of that comes from that seeing the process happen and, and really valuing it and appreciating every little bit and I'm, thinking. I'm probably living where you live as well and seeing the cycles of stuff growing. It's definitely a, a wonderful place to live. Yeah. Very inspiring. Do you ever see yourself not living in Wales? So Johanna has lived in the States her whole life and lived all over the States and yeah. toured, toured for years uh-huh. and lived in many different, she's been everywhere out there. But she always kind of dreamed of, the, she's always had these kind of prophetic ideas about coming to Wales, which have right. now kind of come true. And she really wants, loves the idea of being here right? and, and would love to do, to do that. But I'm yeah. still kind of like, I've been, I mean, I've been to the States every year for the last however many oh, years. Like I've, yeah. I, I, that's the, that is the place I go to once, uh, once or twice every year. Yes. Yeah, um, and I love that, uh, but I'm still like, oh, I still feel like I got more to do out there. You know, yeah, I still feel yeah. like I want, and I'd always kind of imagined that I would move to the States. I, I like the contrast of the idea of having kind of what I've got now, really having this remote location mm-hmm. of a cool farmhouse art studio setup where you can really do do what the fuck you want is the nice part of it you're just out in the middle kind of like it is now you can really do whatever you want um but then to have the freedom through the stuff you know the kind of work I do to be able to then travel and still visit all the cities I want to in the states and see all the things I want to see so I think that feel there maybe I don't have to move out there but no but you could go do it for I don't know I don't know I still I've always been tempted I I don't know I've always thought I would live in the states You've still been obviously working a load mm. throughout all this because, well, like the revolver thing, and then I imagine you've still got commissions coming. Yeah, in. I've got a bunch. Um, they're all, as always, they're kind of top secret. Uh, yeah, top secret I jobs. Tell you about them. About. Yeah, but <laughs> I've got some good ones. Yeah, I got yeah. some real nice ones. I, I'm always swinging between being. You know, you try you you try and sort of categorize yourself as an artist and think, am I am I the movie poster guy? Yeah, I have a guy, or am I the gig poster guy, or whatever the thing is? And and I've come to realize you don't have to decide really. You do whatever excites you, and that's how the best work is yeah. done. You know, and so I try now to I kind of flirt with all of them, and I'll do if if because if I'm because you can use the energy from one against the other. So if yeah. If I'm working on a gig poster for a while, then I might get into a place towards the end of that project where I'm like, man, I really just want to do a movie poster now. That seems so much more attractive. You know, the grass yeah. is green, the kind of thing. Um, but I think that, but in a positive way, where whatever you're working on, you can then generate excitement to work on a very different kind of project. Pen and ink on some monotone, right. detailed thing. I might get excited about making a big, colorful, but much simpler gig poster or something like that uh-huh. for my next thing. So, so at the moment I'm kind of yeah just trying to interchange it so every I'm working on maybe four different projects but they're all very very different different from each other yeah yeah because yeah. you've been I mean you said you started off doing stuff what for your own band and then friends mm. and then what was was there a commission that you were like whoa this is insane good question because i remember you asking me years ago like you're like i've done this drawing of brent could you like get me his email or like pass it on to him oh yeah, yeah yeah i think it was yeah, just his was, face like a really detailed portrait. It, was like a, it was um it was for a friend of mine who 
from South Wales who was doing a, a series. He had a, a, a T-shirt brand called Zombie Crew. Right, was that was it. Yeah. It was like Lemmy. So I, I did well, a bunch of them. So one of it was like, it was Lemmy, but like a zombie Lemmy. Yeah. And then yeah. he, I, uh, he was like, oh, I want to do one of Brent from Mastodon, but like a zombie version of him. I kind of forgot I did that. Yeah. So yeah, I, did, I distinctly I did remember that. being like, oh, I can ask him. Uh, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that because I was going to say I think Mastodon probably was the band who, for me personally, was like I can't. I'm trying to think what I would have done before then, but they were probably the. Yeah, definitely, definitely the one that was like that a big turning point for me uh-huh. because they're a band who I was super super into and yeah. you know, was would would have been the ultimate band for me to to work yeah. with. So um definitely that that was probably the biggest uh-huh. turning point for me that working with those guys has been amazing because because it's always been a direct thing where they you know they always personally hit me up who yeah it's always about the deal an idea with for something yeah. is like hey i've got this idea for shirt yeah i'd love you to do it what do you think about this and so it's very direct and real and and you you know it's not like you're just getting hit up by a merch company or something yeah yeah no middleman in it and and um and it also feels like kindred spirits where there's a reason that um I the 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 their music I was really identified with it it really spoke to me and felt mm-hmm. like I really kind of identified with the the their sort of storytelling the imagery and, visuals of and all, all of that stuff and then I guess on the other side of it for the same reason they would have seen the artwork and thought oh yeah this this guy yeah that would work for similarity and uh, yeah yeah ways of language and storytelling and it probably becomes from the fact that all of us probably grew up into similar books and movies i think i think actually and that and the, with mastodon specifically that was a really important uh, kind of catalyst for me too thinking back even long before long before working with them during the during the time i was in art school especially so in like the sort of early 2000s around that time especially during the sort of new metal type band years yeah everything was like photoshop tastic kind of uh, yes. uh, f- very photo-based artwork for metal bands at the time was fo- disintegrated sort of That's typography, right. disintegrated Weird transitions photos. and stuff. Yeah, just photos which were distressed with Photoshop filters and and sort of you know there's that very specific style to it. There wasn't really illustrated. No in between. Art. Mm. Yeah, there was, it was it was all very photographic based and very just Photoshop tastic, uh-huh. and that carried for many years. And I think because of that, I I didn't see a place for me in it you right, know I wouldn't okay. have been th- really thought of it because that just wasn't present and then when Mastodon came about with all of that the Paul Romano artwork and so much amazing imagery mm. and so much work had gone into every part of the booklets and the yeah, 12 and like- inches and the posters and the t-shirts and everything um with that going on and then at the same time you had uh John Baisley doing the artwork uh-huh. for Baroness and and like I've, I've I've told John this since you know I said to him off you with the the front on the front line saying like hey we're going to turn this around and start bringing illustrated art yeah. back and, and and John's work heavily informed by you know Art Nouveau and Psychedelia and the yeah mid, kind of mid point between it stuff. yeah like I mean, bringing that back in and saying hey we can have this kind of art on heavy record covers and yeah um lots of those bands at the time you know things like Capricorns and these sort of bands who have pl- started to bring in lesbian do you remember lesbian they had like a really odd yeah and then and then like Aaron Turner old. I feel like Aaron Turner at the Aaron Turner had made so much incredible artwork mm. but he'd he'd also go down, gone down that route of kind of photoshoppy but very collage based but yeah. still using a lot of 
that sort of, I mean, it's very distinct to him really, but, mm -hmm. but I feel like his stuff then moved more into more organic ways of working. He's done all sorts, like yeah. Pixies, Metallica is another big one, Queens of Stone Age, like these huge. Yeah, it's kind of wild, really. It's it strange, like you get, you get those things. I don't know. I definitely, if, if, if I could go and sort of tell my childhood self that I would yeah. do all those things, I'd be <laughs> pretty fucking stoked on it. I am stoked on it. I love it. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not wasted on me, but at the same time, once you do it, it becomes who you are and you kind of, and there's another side to it where I kind of think, well, cause I've, I, all of my friends in this world of making pen and ink mm -hmm. artwork, poster art, gig posters, movie posters, out of you know there's a there's a there's a bunch of us and we're all it's kind of a small community, in community a way. yeah the bands it, um the artists who i saw working for bands that i love and uh people like john basie florian burtmer is another one who did so much incredible artwork that yeah uh, who, that i'd looked up to for a long time now these are guys like i speak to florian on the phone most yeah, weeks and, like, yeah. we all we're all in touch with eric They're your peers who, now like eric who did all of the um like the sleep artwork and yes. the high on fire covers and uh -huh so much amazing stuff and now we chat all the time and there's just like kind of a gang of us who do this work and, and obviously it extends further out then it's like comic book world and all that stuff but mm -hmm. but effectively I, I figure you can you can go kind of crazy thinking about like how the hell did we end up doing this but it's like someone's gonna do it you know I'll just go gonna, go with it yeah someone's someone's gonna be making this work and it's really uh -huh. cool if it can be us you know yeah. and because those those covers aren't going to draw themselves you know it's like mm -hmm. if if i'll only take on a record cover if i really believe in it and i really want to do it and i feel yeah. excited by it and have that um it's like the, the the test that i've adopted that i've heard other artists and you can use it for any line of work i suppose but yeah if, if a if a job comes your way and you think of it and if you think fuck yeah that's the test if, if you think fuck yeah then you should do it if you don't if you if you know that deep down you're not saying fuck yeah to it yeah if you've got to convince yourself fuck no yeah. <laughs> just don't do it you know you've got to have that to have. <laughs> if you're going to make if you're going to make a good piece of art if you're going to make something good and you're being committed to it and passionate yeah. about it got to have that fuck yeah going on so thank you so much for talking to me absolute pleasure it's yeah, been really it's, nice well, i just like want to go down the pub now <laughs> i know yeah well hopefully um well with our newfound freedom that's hopefully imminent to be able to well maybe and, uh, roadburn might happen next year because that's where we were supposed to be i know yeah roadburn. yeah well hopefully next maybe. year i hope so do it together yeah. richie beckett thank you so much for talking to me today for party mom plus one i appreciate it it's been lovely speaking to you absolute pleasure congratulations on uh launching the podcast oh well. thanks really i've had, I've had my first 100 listens in like three days so that's exciting amazing Woo! Take care. It's Enjoy a... your lambs and your mushroom beer and everything. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I'll speak oh. to you soon, okay? Yeah, that's All you. All right, bye, love. Bye. So, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that. That was my friend, Richie Brackett. Uh, thanks for listening. And thanks for uh, sharing, liking, subscribing. Please keep doing that. Go follow us on Instagram at party underscore mom underscore pod. Mom is spelt the American way. Party mom. M-O-M. If you have trouble finding me somehow. <laughs> yeah, so uh, come give us a like and uh, tell all your mates. See ya! Party mom, party mom.